One of the privileges of coming to Crown is to have our perspectives broaden. We all come from our hometowns and we, we gather together here from many different places and we start learning to interact with a big world and engage a big world of ideas. Through the classes we read, or the classes we go to, the books we read, the people we interact with, our horizons get expanded. We're doing that more again today. Our chapel speaker, I get to introduce to you, is uh, new here to Crown College, his first time here. Um, he has tremendous experience. He studied in Belgium and uh, Germany and France, speaks many languages. He's taught in the continents of Africa and Europe, and he makes his home in the Netherlands. He's Dutch. For the past 11 years, he has served as the president of the Alliance World Fellowship, which is a, a way of connecting Christians from over 50 countries around the world. So he travels extensively, and he's interacting with what the body of Christ is doing around the world. He and his wife, Janche, something like that, <laughs> have five children and three and a half grandchildren. One is on the way, so that's exciting. Please, uh, let's give a warm crown greeting to our speaker this morning, Ari Verdown. Man, you did well. <laughs> well, thank you so much for this uh, warm welcome. And uh, you didn't notice it because you were already clapping, but uh, actually uh, my name was pronounced in, in the right way. You said Ari Verduin, and uh, Verduin is quite difficult for most other uh, language-speaking people. I hear it in all variations, uh, uh, and you were really having me repeat it, repeat it, repeat it, and it worked. So thank you very much. Uh, I remember one time I was in Indonesia, and there was a, a huge screen, and uh, my name was on that screen, but they had misspelled it. It said Ari Verdwijn, which in my language means Ari, shut up. Um, so, so thank you. I'm very pleased with uh, the way I was welcomed here. This was much better. Well, as uh, was said, I, I, I represent the Alliance World Fellowship, which uh, really is uh, the family of Christian and Missionary Alliance churches. Now, I realize you're not all from this denomination, but this, this denomination is well represented here at Crown. Uh, and we have uh, organized churches in more than 50 countries, and these countries again work in many other countries. We like to call it a family. It's really a, a family of sister churches, and family is extremely important. And in the family, you share the good and you share the bad. I could tell you many very good stories. Those are normally the stories that you uh, hear first. But actually, I would like to focus on another aspect in our family because it's so dominant in the news and also in our thinking. And uh, that's especially the churches, the members of our sh uh, family that are uh, suffering in these days. Next, uh, please. And, uh, well, we have churches in the Middle East. We have uh, them, well, in the different countries in the Middle East. We have 16 alliance churches in Syria. And I don't need to explain that there's a lot of suffering going on there. But I wanted to show you this picture, which is the map of Syria. It shows all those different colors. That's where different splinter groups are 
fighting with each other. It's, it's extremely complex. The gray area actually is the area where ISIS, Islamic State, is uh, ruling. And uh, uh, I just wanted to show this, this couple. This is one of the pastor's uh, couples. They are serving in Al-Hasaka, which is in the northeast of the country. And you see it's only that little orange uh, red uh, spot that is under control for, of, of the government right now. And they're surrounded by ISIS. Um, these kind of people have invitations coming to them from Europe, from North America. Please come, it's too dangerous for you over there. But they stay, they stay. And they're suffering, but they stay. And uh, I had a privilege of meeting them not too long ago. And I tell you, these kind of people are the heroes of our times. And I could show you more uh, heroes like that. Next, please. Um, actually, uh, recently, uh, uh, three Christians in Syria were uh, executed by Islamic State, among them uh, Dr. Abdul Masih. Um, he's from that area, Al Hasaka. And uh, well, his mother is also in the hands of uh, IS. We, we don't know what has happened to, to her, uh, but these are the kind of sufferings that they are facing. And I want to draw your attention to these people and urge you to pray for our sister churches in the Middle East. Next, please. Uh, recently, I was in Amman, the capital of Jordan, where there are many refugees from different countries, and I had the privilege of speaking at a service where there were all people from Iraq. And uh, so the church was filled with Iraqi people. Uh, most of them lost everything, had to leave Iraq. And among them was this uh, family. The father is not on the picture. He wasn't there. He was still in Iraq. Uh, and after I spoke, the girl on the right came to me. And uh, she said, Pastor, I have a question. Is it a sin? when I say to God that I'm angry at him. We lost everything. And here I am in Jordan. I do not even have the right to work, to, to earn my own living. Is it a sin when I say to God that I'm angry at him? And you know, that when, when you get that question, it almost automatically makes you go to the book of Job where this question, I think, is in a way answered. And actually what I want to, to do this morning is, is just go to the book of Job and try to find an answer to this question because there is so much reason in her life to be angry with God. And it may be, I'm not just talking about the world situation, but it may be in your own life that you're facing problems and, and you're angry at God. What about that? Well, I want to take you to the book of Job, and uh, you can turn this out, the, the, the pictures. But uh, I'm not going to take the time to read with you, but I'm going to focus on the first chapter. And I, will, I hope I will give you enough reasons going through this to, to read the whole book for yourself. I come back to that. The book of Job starts by saying these words. There was a man in the land of us whose name was Job, and that man was blameless and upright. He feared God, and he shunned evil. Those are the first things uh, mentioned about Job. That's quite remarkable. Why? 
Well, Job was a very special person. It is said in the same context that he was the richest person of the East. He was the Bill Gates of his days. I mean, he had a huge company. All that is mentioned, but the first things that are mentioned about Job are those four elements. The first is he was blameless. He was correct, fair, didn't hurt anybody. Then he was upright. It was not a man of crooked ways, no corruption or misleading PR for his company. Then, third, he was fearing God, which really means that God took the first place in his life. When he had to take a decision, he wouldn't ask first, what does it mean to my company or my career? No, what does it mean to God? And then in the fourth place, and he shunned evil, which is a very active expression. You know, you cannot avoid uh, being confronted with evil. And especially in our days, it comes to you through your screen. And all, but you cannot avoid being confronted with evil. But he shunned it. He, he turned away very actively. I think we can learn from that. By the way, it doesn't hurt to ask yourself every now and then, how am I doing spiritually? How is my spiritual life? And if you ask that question, you need a norm to go by. And I think these four elements could be a good norm for you and me to check our spiritual life uh, and ask you this, yourself this question. How do people talk about me? How do they talk about me when I'm not there? Uh, will they first mention the way that I'm dressed? Will they first mention my good car? Will they first mention my career? You know, when people talked about Job, the first things that are mentioned are that he was blameless and upright, fearing God and shunning evil. What did he say about you? What did he say about me? But now it comes. A person who seems so perfect, he was hit by catastrophes. And then we wonder why would it hit him? I mean, you may know many candidates who should be hit by, well, <clears throat> why a perfect person like Job? And interestingly, the first chapter gives us the background of this story. It, it allows us uh, to, to peek behind the scenes. And then in that first chapter, we, we, we look into the, the throne hall of God and we see God on the throne and heavenly beings surrounding him and while we are looking in there then we see that the door is opening and Satan comes in and God sees him coming in and God says hey Satan where are you from where have you been and Satan says well I was roaming planet earth and and then the reaction of God is interesting he says hey you were on earth did you see my servant Job, he sounds like he's proud of him. Did you, have you been there? Ah, did you see my servant Job? And then God describes Job. And you know what God says? Exactly the same four things are mentioned. God says, because he is blameless, upright, fearing God and shunning evil. I said it's a good thing to measure your own spiritual life by what are people telling about you. Of course, the ultimate test is, 
what would God say about me? Well, this is what God said about Job. And then it appears that Satan, yes, Satan saw, saw Job. But Satan saw something totally different from what God saw in Job. You know, Satan just sees in Job an excellent businessman. A very good businessman. You know, he's, he says to God, well, you know, Job, he serves you. He, he, he gives his sacrifices. He sings for you, prays to you. And you protect him. And you bless him. He's just a good businessman. He's just an investment, you know. He, <laughs> he prays, you protect. <laughs> he gives a sacrifice. You give him all kinds of blessings. So, Satan says, just stop blessing him. Stop protecting him. And then you will see he doesn't care about you. <laughs> he doesn't care about you. All he is interested in is what you give him and your protection. He's not interested in you. And then Satan challenges God to just let him go. And then one of the most difficult things to understand in the Bible, for me at least, is that God accepted the challenge of Satan. Why did he do that? I have no answer. But that's how it happened. And then there is a strange bet in the heavenly realms... And it's, it, it, it's, it's a fight, you could say, between God and Satan. And Job is the battleground. And then God says to Satan, okay, go ahead. Hit him, I won't protect him. Well, God doesn't need to say that two times to Satan. And off he goes, back to planet Earth. And he hits Job. He hits him by destroying all the cattle, destroying, killing all the personnel that Job had worked with for years. And then, of course, the final blow, all his children. All his children killed. And when Job is hit that way, then we read at the end of the first chapter that then he fell on the ground. And he said, naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked I shall return. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. You know, these verses have often been quoted when somebody died. Even when a, when a child dies, then, then people sometimes quote this verse. The Lord gave, the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Others have criticized this. And they would say, well, this is much too fatalistic to, to use this verse in this way. Others even say this is blasphemous. This is blasphemous, what, what Job is saying here. He says, the Lord gave. Well, so far, so good. But then he said, the Lord has taken away. Well, that, that's not correct. That's not correct. He should have said, and Satan has taken away. So, uh, yeah, he's a, he's a good man, Job, but, but his... Theology was not okay because he seems to associate very bad things with God. You cannot do that. There's no darkness in God. Interestingly, the Bible presupposes that you have that question. Because the next verse says, in all this, Job did not sin. 
by charging God with wrongdoing. And we wonder how can this be? <laughs> because he did that. But the Bible says no, he did not. Question. Well, then the story continues. And you, you step into chapter 2 and you get a repetition of what we have seen in the first chapter. Again, we get a glimpse of the throne hall of God. Again, Satan answers and God asks uh, the Satan, where have you been? Ah, on earth, okay. And then interestingly, God repeats what he said in the first chapter. And he says, well, you saw Job, Job again. You hit him, but he is still blameless and upright, fearing God and shunning evil. It sounds as if God says to Satan, you see, I won. <laughs> we had a bet, I won. He's still faithful. And then Satan reacts, well, <laughs> yeah, that's true, but he's still in good health. He's still in good health. Sometimes we say that too, you know, he's all kind of problems, he's still in good health. And then, and again, don't ask me to explain that, but then there is a new bet in heaven. And then Satan says, well, let me hit him in his body. And, and, and God says, okay. And God says, okay, go, go. He even hit him in his body. And then you know that picture of Job sitting there and with all the wounds and scratching his, um, his skin. And then his wife is there and she looks at him and, uh, well... Looking at him, she says, well, Job, come on, give up. It has been enough. Give up. I mean, if there has ever been a good candidate for euthanasia, Job, it, it, it's, it's, it's obviously it's you. Give up. And then Job says something very interesting when his wife suggests that. Then Job says, shall we receive good from God and not evil? What a strange remark. Should we receive good from God and not evil? And again, we wonder, hey, Job, uh, your theology is not really sound because you ascribe good to God. Of course, he can give that. But you suggest that God can also give evil. How can you do that? That's a wrong Theology, it's blasphemy, and we would expect, I would expect, that the Bible would reprimand Job, saying something like, Job, great man, but theologically, biblically, not sound. Interestingly, again, in chapter 2, this question is presupposed because it says, literally, Job did not sin in his words. And then I have a problem. And if you want an answer to this dilemma, I think there's only one way to get it. And that is by reading through the whole book of Job. You won't get your answer if you just pick a verse here and there. But read through the whole book of Job. I really challenge you to do that. It's not easy. But do it. Because by reading through the book, from beginning to the end, slowly the answer to this dilemma will emerge and you will see the secret of Job. And the secret was this. Although protesting and not understanding, Job sticks to God. He goes 
You will see it through a maze of misery and, 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 and misunderstanding. But nonetheless, he holds God's hand. You remember we said that he was fearing God in every circumstances, as circumstance. Even when he did not understand God, he held his hand. Let me, let me illustrate it. Just imagine a little boy and the father says to the little boy, hey, shall we go to grandpa? And of course, the boy wants to go to grandpa, always has candies and all that. So, grab the hand, get out of the door, and the father walks this way. And the child says, hey, daddy, you said we would go to grandpa. Yes. Yeah, but grandpa lives over there. <laughs> so, we're going the wrong way. And the daddy only says, well, okay, you go with me. And the child says, hey, daddy, you're not honest. Hey, daddy, you're a very bad father. Daddy, you're a liar. You told me we would go to... And then they arrive at the house of an uncle. And when they enter, guess who sits in the living room? There's grandpa. Uh, what is the father going to say to that little boy when they arrive there? Will the father say... You're a very bad boy. You know, you said about me that I'm not honest. You said I am a bad father. You said I led you in the wrong way. And, and I don't think so. I think that the father would say to the child, well done. Very good. You did not understand me, but you held my hand. You know, when you read through the whole book of Job, you will see that Job, on the go, says all kind of terrible things to his father, God. In chapter 3, he is cursing the day that he was born. That's bad when you say that to your creator, God. He says, I'd rather be dead. Chapter 6, God is poisoning me. Actually, he even says there, let God crush me. That's horrible. And then he says in chapter 10, God is spoiling my joy. You know when you go with God, there's no fun. He spoils your joy. In chapter 14, he destroys my hope. Go with God and it's hopeless. That's what he's saying. That's my experience. Chapter 19, he put me in the wrong. He closes his net around me. Well, you know, when you go with God, it, it, it's, it's suffocating. It's, it's not, there's no joy. Maybe some of you have that experience. But here it comes. Nonetheless, Job clings to God. And it is against that background of all those misunderstandings that some other verses, expressions, appear like, 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 like jewels, you know. In that context, he says also this. Though he slay me, I will hope in him. I will hold his hand nonetheless. They say that Martin Luther once said, I would rather be with Christ in hell than in heaven without him. Well, I think it's nonsense. But, <laughs> thank you for the amen. 
You know, it's nonsense because we know that where Christ is, there is heaven. It's not the place that determines heaven. It's the person of Christ. So it's nonsense, but yes, amen. We understand uh, what is meant here. And then he also says, for I know that my Redeemer lives. I says, he says, my eye pours out tears to God that he would argue the case of man with God. Do you hear that? This is one of the most difficult verses in, 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 in the whole book, but it's, it's, it's great. 16, 20, 21. That God will argue the case of men with God. You know, uh, he is experiencing on the go all the time that this is not right. God is not right with him. He's not acting in a good way with him. And so he wants to protest. And then he seeks for an advocate against, against God. And he seeks the highest authority he can find to fight God. And what is the highest authority? Well, there's nothing higher than God. So he calls on God against God. You and I... We know the New Testament and we know that one day God came on earth. And it was God against God. God the Son was actually nailed to a cross. And he took all our misdoings and misunderstandings and sins and he took it all on us. And it was God against God. Here Job became a prophet. And then, well, he's pronounce those words I know that my redeemer lives Job did not and we have to jump to the last part of the book he did not get an explanation never in the book it is said that that God said to Job well you know Job there was this situation in heaven or or in the heavenly realms where Satan came and and so on nothing like that but what you see God doing in the end is when he speaks to Job, God points at himself. And he says things like, you know, Job, just, 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 just look up. Do you see the stars and the sun? You know who created that? It, it was me, Job. I mean, I, I'm in control. I'm in control. I created all that you see. All those huge animals, all of Korea. I did that. I'm in control. And he points at himself. Trust me. Let's think of the, the little boy again. Just imagine that the little boy has to go to the hospital for a medical operation. And the father says to the child, well, let's go to the hospital. They will operate you. And the child says, well, I don't, I don't want to go to the hospital. And the father explains, well, you know, there's a medical reason for that. If, because if, if they do this and that to you, then, then you'll get better and blah, blah, and so on. And the child says, yeah, but I don't want to go there. Are they going to cut me here? Yeah, but, yeah. And, and the father tries with all medical terms that he has. And, and, and then the child keeps saying, but I, I don't want to go. And, and then as a father, you can come to the point where you ran out of all your arguments and you say something like this. Hey. Do you believe that I love you? Yes, Daddy, I believe you love me. Well, could you just trust me that this is absolutely the best? And you stop arguing and you just say, do you trust me? And it's something like that that God does to Job in those last chapters. Do you think I'm in control? Do you think I'm powerful enough to take care of it? Look at what I did. Well... Then we come to the last chapter. 
And Job acknowledges, yes, your plan is a perfect plan. And he hands it over, all his thinking and his misunderstanding to God. And we could say a whole lot more about that. But let me just add, we're running out of time, that in that last part, God turns to the friends. Now, I didn't mention them. They play a, an important role. But here's something interesting. Then God says in the last chapter to the friends, you have not spoken what is right of me as my servant Job has. You hear that? You did not speak right of me. And my servant Job, he did. But I already indicated to you that Job, well, what he said about God. You know, when you read through the whole book of Job, I would like to challenge you to take two sheets of paper. And on the one sheet of paper, you're going to write everything that Job says about God. Okay? And on the other sheet of paper, you write everything that the friends say about God. Yeah? And then you present those two papers to an experienced Christian and you ask, which one is theolog theologically sound? Well, <laughs> I dare bet <laughs> that they will all say, Ooh, what that man says about God? That's horrible. But, oh, but it was written here, those friends. Ah, no, that's, that, that sounds theology. And God says, you have not spoken right of me, as did my servant Job. How can you explain that? You know, I think there's only one explanation, and that's this. God sees your heart. And he knows the language of your heart. You know, I believe in the importance of a statement of faith. <laughs> I believe in the importance of doctrines. But you may be able to quote all the creeds of the church through the centuries. And your heart may be very far away from God. God knows the language of your heart. And then, after saying that, God says to the friends, You better go to Job and have him pray for you because I will hear him. Here, the man who was in the beginning the battleground between God and Satan, now he becomes a warrior on the playing field, on the battlefield. God promotes him and gives Job a weapon, prayer. And he says to the friend, you better go to him, let him pray. I love this. And to wrap it up, I see three lessons that we can learn from what we just saw from Job. In the first place, you can be open and honest with God. Afnan in Amman, yes, you can be open with God and tell him when you're angry with him. Do you believe, by the way, that God can see what is in your heart? <laughs> he knows already. You better be open and honest with God. You can express whatever is in you to God. Second thing. But hold his hand. Even if you don't understand it, hold his hand. It's the relationship with God that is determining, not the circumstances or the direction. Hold his hand. You're safe because he's in control. And in the third place, don't hold on to a victim status. You know, sometimes... We say, oh, 
if you would know what happened to me. It's so bad. Oh, man. Well, don't get me wrong. I think there is a time for grieving, a time for weeping and all that. Take your time. But don't stay there. Don't stay there. Job was promoted to become from a victim a warrior in the spiritual battle. And God gave him the weapon of prayer. You too. You should seek to move on. If you understand or not, hold his hand and become a warrior and pray and bless others as Job could bless his friends, those who were against him. And you will be able to be a blessing. Shall we pray? Father, we thank you for the book of Job that you have allowed it to be in the Bible because we understand that many of the things that are said here must have been hurting your heart. But you allowed it to be in the Bible so that we can learn from it. And Father, we just pray that you will help us when we are suffering or having difficulties to hold your hand and to move on and become a warrior with you. Father, we thank you for the example of many Christians in the Middle East, and we pray for them. And we want to bless them from here by praying for them. And Father, we thank you for their example, that they also, although suffering and often not understanding, but move on, blessing so many others. Use us for your glory, Father. We pray it in Jesus' name.